0: Almighty, unchangeable God. What a beautiful expression of precious truths. That God is immutable. He doesn't change, and that God is all powerful. He's omnipotent. He's almighty. What a beautiful, uh, beautiful truth that is. If you have a Bible, open up with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be in verses uh, 15 through 20. This morning, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, as we can continue our sermon series on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are sermons on the Godhead, on the Trinity. And I, I was thinking just for a moment about one thing I'd like to say uh, about what one thing the study for the series has done for me is it's transformed my worship. It's transformed my worship and understanding the way that the works of God belong to all. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, able to sing a hymn along our, with our choir, a song along with our choir, like we just sung, and uh, realize that I'm singing to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even as I sing to the Almighty, unchangeable God. I hope you'll see the way, as we learn about God, the way your worship will be freed and even transformed as you go deeper into who God is. That's my hope and prayer. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. If you have your Bible open there, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that He in everything might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, would You please open our hearts and minds to receive Your Word, and to be changed by it. so in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, by God's grace, it certainly is. Family Worship uh, Sunday today. And I know for a lot of sweet moms and dads, you might be a little stressed out right now thinking about that. But just know I'm not stressed out if that makes you feel any better. I wouldn't mind one bit if a kid acted like a kid in church on Sunday. And uh, so don't don't worry about that. But children welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad to have you here. You're used to everything up until about right now. And so I thought I might just talk to you for just a moment before we get started. Let ask this question in particular to our children, but anyone can answer. Um except Larry. Larry can't answer. But anybody else can answer. Who has ever wondered what God looks like? Any of you ever wondered what God looks like? Yeah, we've got some hands going up. Anybody? All right, adults, what about you? Have any of you ever wondered what God looks like? I don't care if you think it's theologically correct or not, or what you've been told. Everybody's hands should go, What well, I just got kind of to look like. So often, I think, even in our worship and in our perception of God, one of the challenges for us can be when I think about... Whether my dad loves me or not, or my mom loves me or not, or my wife loves me or not, I have a picture I can go to. And oftentimes, even a person I can go to. I can see how they look. I can know them. I can see that. Oftentimes, because God is invisible. We can't see God. We sometimes struggle with our perception of God. You're not the only people who have ever wanted to have a picture of God. All of us wish we could have a picture of God, don't we? You're not the only ones that have ever wished you could do that. Back in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, we hear the story of the time that God's people got sick of having a God they couldn't see. They were sick and tired of it. They had a leader they couldn't find. He had t- it was taking too long. And, um, and then they had a God they couldn't see. They got sick of it. And so Moses was there on the mountain receiving God's law, and the people went to his brother and lieutenant Aaron. And they said, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron had them take all the gold they had, all the they had a nose ring or an earring or a bracelet, he had them take all the gold and he brought it to him. And from that gold he made for them a golden calf that seems to have been there to sort of represent God for them. He said, Behold, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And the next day they had a feast, the Bible says, to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the God who brought them out of Egypt. So they were trying to worship God through an image because they were so frustrated with having a God they couldn't see. They decided to make this bull, this strong calf to represent the power of God. We long to see images of God, but the Bible forbids it. Why? Because to see God we are meant to look to the sun. Not the sun out there, but to the S O N. We are meant to look to the sun, the very image of the invisible God. God withheld his people from looking at any sort of image in worship to him or making any sort of image in worship to him in order that we all might one day, through the pages of Scripture, look and see the very image of the invisible God, our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, we turn our attention to the second person of the Trinity, the eternally begotten Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. From this beautiful passage, I I want to show you three truths about who the Son is that I think can and should and will probably already have it'll at least deepen your understanding of who God is and where your mind goes When you think about God. Three truths this morning about the Son of God. Here's the first. The Son is eternally begotten. The Son is eternally begotten. Nathan read John three sixteen to us earlier. Most of us have that verse memorized uh, in the King James. For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only begotten Son. Only begotten Son. Oftentimes we think about this in terms of Jesus' incarnation, His being born into the world. And yet theologians have see, and I think the Scripture teaches more broadly, that this begottenness of the Son, the fact He is the Son of the Father, is an eternal reality. Here we see Paul identifying this one he speaks of in verses 15-20 through 20 with the Son. Back up just a little bit to 13. And 14, God, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of who? Of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then in verses 15-20, through Paul begins to sort of tease out what it means for us to be in the kingdom of the beloved Son. Who is this beloved Son? What are some truths you need to know about this beloved Son? He begins in verse 15. Here we see the first thing you need to know. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Here we see a picture of the eternal God. Guys, I do have batteries, but we've just had a little problem with the mic now a couple weeks. So we'll, we'll just switch over the pulpit mic, okay, Scotty, just to be safe. And uh, we'll have to figure out what's going on with this thing. Now, there we go. Let me just mention here a couple of things we need to know. It might throw you off just a little bit to hear this word firstborn used here. And you may say, this sounds like the opposite of eternality to me. It sounds like when you talk about a firstborn, I have a firstborn, she's right down here. And there was a time when the Watsi was not. To borrow from Arius. <laughs> there, there was a time when there was no Watsi. And now there is a Watsi. She is not eternal. She was firstborn. But here, I think, coupled with the rest of the verses that we read here, there are clear signs of the eternality. So I think when we realize here what Paul is driving at, we have to recognize that when he talks about him being firstborn. this is in reference back to the sonship of Christ. And he's helping us see that he is the one who would receive the inheritance. He is in the position of primacy as the Son of God. He is the firstborn and the only and the beloved Son of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This is a reference then to his unique role as the Son. He has the rights and privileges of the firstborn. And so He is also, we see here, the image of the invisible God, which we'll talk about a little more here in just uh, a few moments. But let me just mention, He is the image of the invisible God. We have to recognize and see here that this is a picture of the divinity, the full divinity of Christ, to be the image of God. Now there's a difference between us and Christ. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. You are like God in some ways. But Jesus is the image of God. He is God in His very nature. And we see here from this passage and others in Scripture, when the Son is talked about this way, we recognize and and understand that God then has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the second person of the Trinity, the Son, has always been the Son. There's never been a moment when Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, was not the Son of God. This wasn't something that happened uniquely in His incarnation, but it's something He has always been. He is eternally begotten of the Father. And if you think back to a quote we talked about last week, and I think we'll be thinking about it a little more as time goes on, the work of God, Luke Stamp said this, the the work of God is done from the Father Through the Son and by the Spirit, you can see the way that these relationships of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit correspond to that idea. The work of God is from the Father, Father, and it is through the Son. In the same sense that God in His nature, these three persons are a Father and then a Son who is coming from the Father as a Son. He is the Word of God. As one theologian says, It is He is proceeding from the Father as a word or a thought proceeds from a mind. The Son is proceeding from the Father. And so you see the way it corresponds to that. And then the Holy Spirit being I would argue, breathed out from the Father and from the Son, we see then the way that the work of the Father and the Son is done by the Spirit, all working in concert. It's from the Father and through the Son. I hope you can see in this text the way um, that our view of God can often get messed up. I I want you to... I want you really deeply... um, To feel this because I want you to be encouraged by this thought. So often, what we do wrongly is associate the God of the Old Testament, right? God, as only the Father, right? We kind of look back and say, what in the world was the Father doing in the Old Testament? I sure am glad that Jesus and the Holy Spirit showed up in the New Testament. But I want you to know something. The work of God in the Old Testament and the New is entirely the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I don't want you to look back and see harsh things that happen and see those as belonging only to the Father because I think that often challenges us in viewing God as our Father. I think there are some Christians who have a hard time calling God Father because they sort of in the back of their mind feel like maybe the Father, I think it's a misunderstanding of the Old Testament, but I want to meet you where a lot of folks are I think people will say, well, this father seems to kind of used to have been abusive back in the Old Testament. It's all wrath and all these kinds of things. But that's not the case at all. The, the work of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is collectively the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to know when you are in Christ, it is the case that you can truly go, call God Father because you are being welcomed into the life of the Son in such a way that you can then look to God as your Father because of what the Savior has done and because of the sealing of the Holy Spirit which you've received. I want you to be able to look back and see the way that from the beginning to the end, all of the work of God is the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in a work to bring reconciliation to you. Some of us were once in the domain of darkness, the Bible says, but now we have been transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. The Son is eternally begotten. But second of all, I also want you to see this. The work of God is through the Son. The work of God is from the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit. Do you see what Paul's telling us here? He shows us two examples of the way that the Son is the agent of the work of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were Created. That's the first example of the work of God that we see being done through the Son in this passage. It's the work of creation. Now, the other is salvation, which we'll talk about in a moment, but you can see the way Paul's choosing two of the biggies here. <laughs> creation and salvation. Two of the main works of God we see here as examples of being done through the Son. And so then I think in your mind you can just go through all the works of God and see the different ways He does them through the Son. But first you see Creation. I love what the Bible says here. It says this, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus. Whether thrones, things in heaven or on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. This is another reason why we recognize that Jesus is fully divine. That Jesus is God. Because all things were made through Him. And so if He was a thing, it would be impossible for all things to be made through Him. He is the one who is making all things, whether they're invisible or visible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. He's not a mere angel. He's not a a human prince who attained godhood. This is the very Son of God. He is the uncreated agent of creation. He is... Uncreated, but created other things. And I think this world begins to make a little more sense when we realize it was made through and for Jesus Christ. The gospel begins to make more sense when we recognize it was made through the world was made through and for Jesus Christ. The gospel is not some late addition to the plan of God. But instead, his plan through Christ is baked into the very world. He made all things were made through and for Jesus, but we also see that the Son of God is the agent of God in the work of salvation. Now, this is that which is most plain to us as Christians, I think, because we think often about the work of the Son, and when we think about the work of the Son, it's almost exclusively in terms of His work to save sinners. I want you to notice what Paul says in verses 18 and verse 20. He is the head of the body, verse 18, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He's the agent of God in the work of salvation. He is the beginning in verse 18. That's another reference to his eternality when he calls himself Alpha and Omega. I am the beginning. That's a way of saying I have always been. Not I have a beginning, but I am the beginning. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. It's a picture of His resurrection. Though He lives forever, He nonetheless died and then was raised from the dead through the power of an indestructible life. The Bible says by the power of the Holy Spirit, God raised Him up from the dead. And again, you can see there in the work of Christ the way that it comes from the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And so we can then rejoice in the work of God through the Son in creation and in salvation. Praise, praise the Son. Praise the Son for the work that He's done according to God's plan by the Spirit to bring the world into the existence and to redeem the world by His blood. The work of God is through the Son. And then finally this morning, I want you to see one last thing. The Son is fully God. The Son is fully God. I want to ask you a question this morning. What grounds your understanding of who God is? What is your understanding of who God is rooted in? Now, if you've been walking with Jesus for almost any amount of time, you've been walking with God for almost any amount of time, You've gone through seasons where what you know about God from the Bible and what you've learned about God through church and your experience of God in the past seems to contradict the way your heart feels about God in that moment. Maybe maybe not, but I have had moments where I've thought God seemed distant. But we know God's not distant from His people, right? If you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you've got the Lord living inside your own heart. We know that God is everywhere. Where can I flee from Your presence, David said. We know in our minds that that's not true, but sometimes God can seem distant. Jesus told us His yoke is easy... And His burden is light. Jesus told us He's gentle and lowly in heart. The Bible calls God our Father who loves His children. And yet God, sometimes we find God to be harsh. Don't we? You ever been through a season of life where you're experiencing the discipline of God or some other trial and you say, God seems harsh to me today? In your mind you know God is love. But in your heart you don't feel that way. Maybe God is frustrating to you at times. He just seems unknowable. Now we know that the Bible teaches us about the the plainness and the clarity of Scripture. We know God is knowable. We know He's a very present help in time of need. We know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know He is an almighty, unchangeable God. No being in the cosmos is more consistent than God. And yet, at the same time, it can feel frustrating. To us, God seems to be different than what we think. So what keeps you from landing there when you go there? I know you go there or you're godlier than I am, which is probably true, but even those of you who are godlier than I am probably go there sometimes through what some of the old ancients have called a dark night of the soul maybe. What keeps you from landing there? What what keeps you from going totally to another place, abandoning the Bible theologically? For me, I'm going to tell you what it what happens for me. For me, it's remembering who Jesus is and what Jesus did. When I get frustrated with big thoughts about God and all this overarching things, I just come back to Jesus. And and I remember what Jesus did, and I say to myself, you know, right now God doesn't seem to make sense to you, Matt. You're frustrated with Him or you're, you're maybe even angry with the Lord in this moment. He seems distant or harsh. And I just remember Jesus came to me. Jesus came here. And I'll go read through the things that Jesus did and the love Jesus showed. And it reminds me of who God is and what God's done. And that very thought, the very fact that some of you in the room right now would say you love Jesus kind of don't like God. Maybe some of you watching online feel drawn and attracted to Christ, but repelled from a broader sense of who God is. This is one of the beauties of the Bible and one of the beauties of the doctrine of the Trinity. It's so gorgeous to know that Jesus Christ is fully God of fully God. Everything you see Jesus doing, God is doing. Everything you know about Jesus that's true about Jesus is true of God. We cannot in our minds pit the Father, the Son, and the Spirit against one another. We cannot say things like, I don't like God, but I like Jesus because Jesus is God. He ought to be, If you love Jesus, you love God. If you delight in who Christ is, you delight God in who God is. Do you see what Paul says? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But he goes on in verse 19 to say, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Father." Son and Holy Spirit are in perfect unity with one another, and each and every one of them is totally and fully God. And when you look at Jesus, you are looking at God. He is the image of the invisible God. In Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this has always been the case. It has always been the case that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had a perfect love and delight in one another. There's never been, as I said before, a two-to-one vote in the Trinity. Never. There's always been perfect unity. There's never been a moment when the Son went to the Father and said, please, oh please Father, let me save them. Oh please let me save them. Oh please Spirit, go and comfort them. No, for all eternity, they've all been in perfect concert wanting and to save and wanting to love and desiring to draw you to themselves to have a perfect life in them through the blood of Jesus. My friends, when you see Jesus, you see God. When you know Jesus, you know God. But there's another beauty to this truth. There's no divinity to go looking for outside of Christ. You don't have to go try to find something a little better. It's not Jesus plus anything. Right? It's not Jesus plus this from New Age religion. It's not Jesus plus this from from another religion. It's not Jesus plus my own sort of brand or breed of spirituality. There's no spirituality to look for outside of Jesus. There's no God to find outside of Jesus. Through Christ, you get all of God. All of the deity. All of God is pleased to dwell in Christ. Man, I want to know what God looks like. I want to see God. Moses longed to see God. Let me see your face, Moses said. We so badly long for an image, for something to see when it comes to God. But what if I told you, you already have something to see? What if I told you, you already know what God looks like? You can't necessarily see it with your eyes, but by faith you can see God, You have the Son. He is the image of the invisible God. And He came here in flesh and was seen and touched and heard and smelled and experienced. We know God Through Jesus, He is the Son who is eternally begotten of the Father. He is the Son through whom all the work of God is done. He is the Son who, as the Nicene Creed says, is the one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, True God from true God. Begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father's. Oh, brothers and sisters, you long to see God. You long to see His face. You long to have an image. Don't look away. Don't look elsewhere. Don't go anywhere but to the very image of the invisible God. For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you want to know God this morning, let me introduce you to Jesus. By grace through faith, if you'll turn from your sins in repentance and Turn to God through the work of Jesus. I believe you will be saved this morning. If you need someone to talk with you or pray with you, you come down front. I'll be waiting on you. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I just need to grow in my knowledge of God so that my worship will have more fuel so I'll have more of a passion for God just so I'll know God better. This altar's open. If you need someone to talk to, I'll be here waiting on you. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.